0: Yo, yo, yo! It's your girl and boy, CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of The Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better. And it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Hello, Overcomer Nation. Today, we are going to talk to you about a topic. We are going to talk to you about overcoming racism. We're talking about, uh, we're today, we're talking with the author of Black Resilience. The subtitle there is The Blueprint for Black Triumph in the Face of Racism. Braden Anderson is a previous Division I college basketball star and founder of the Black Resilience Foundation. So I'm super excited to have Braden share with us on the show today, just all about his book and all about, you know, his perspective. And I hope that this helps just bring us more into that one overall community. So Braden, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks a lot, Travis. I I really appreciate
0: it, man. It's it's good to be here with you. It's good to have you here. And uh, I I love your topic. Uh, You know, I'm I just can't wait to learn more about the book and you know, have you share with our audience, you know what has inspired you? actually, let's just start at the beginning. What has inspired you to have your foundation, have your book and be out there on the mission that you're on. Let's talk a little bit about that,
1: yeah, for sure. i I think so I think it starts with like re, like resilience. Like what is resilience? What is what's something from my story? because I, I I had a tough life, right? I mean, I think it's really relevant and appropriate to be on your podcast because like listen the book addresses racism and, and and things that i did to overcome that kind of adversity right and i thought that it was really important and meaningful that i packaged my story right in a way that could help people who are dealing with that right because i noticed that there was a huge gap in in literature of this of this type right like there are a lot of people talking about racism obviously through Black Lives Matter and and other like diversity and inclusion initiatives. Like there is a lot of attention right now over the last five years on race and racism, but there is a large and gaping hole uh, where literature should be that is coming from a black person talking to a black audience. And I think that that's really, really crucial that you're actually talking to the afflicted. Uh, because what has happened, unfortunately, and you cannot kind of understand how this could happen, but what has happened over the last 20 years as we have started to develop these diversity and inclusion programs and focus on race and racism, we have put the spotlight on white people in both ways, both to be the experts, to speak to racism, right? So we have, you know, Princeton graduates like Robin DiAngelo who are professors at, at, at Ivy league institutions who are talking about their expertise, <laughs> right. On, on racism. And, and, you know, she's a wonderful woman. She's really smart and really nice, but she has not walked the walk. She has not experienced what it is to be black. And I think, unfortunately, a, a lot of experts who haven't walked that walk have unfortunately be, been put in situations and, and, and put in environments where they are experts and having to sometimes, what's good is that sometimes they can talk about the, you know, the, the white experience and what they have witnessed white people doing and, and their empathy for white people and why they may make certain decisions and, right, and do certain things. Um, but it unmistakably always crosses over in one way or another where you have to then talk about the black experience, right? And it, how silly would it be, Travis, if, if me and you we're going to talk about what it's like to be a woman, right? <laughs> what it's like to, to deal with sexism. Listen, I may have a guess, but I'm not an expert, right? Um, I have a daughter, I love her to death. And I and I like to think that I'll have some empathy there and understanding, but I'm not an expert. And I'm not gonna write a book about what women feel. It's just not my place, right? I'm not gonna have all the information. And so I thought it was really, really important and, and necessary at this point in time to write a book about this coming from someone who walked that walk and kind of harnessing my adversity and the things that I overcame uh, in hopefully a really helpful way for an audience that really hasn't been written to much at all, right? There's not a ton of books actually directed to a Black reader at all, unfortunately, right? So I wanted to fill that, that gap as well.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk about that and, and I totally get your point. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. Um let's talk about some of the uh racism that you encountered because when we dig deep and we say, you know, what inspires a person to get on a mission, it is having that personal experience in life and saying, you know, I, I want to speak to this. I want to I want to help uh I help provide a solution to it, you know. So uh could you maybe just give us a yeah adversities you know if you would since it is the overcomer podcast and we are talking about adversity right you know so for for
1: for sure i I mean so i I think trying to separate racism in general and and overcoming adversity from the individual things is difficult right because there's a whole big picture that that is someone's life right you don't just have racism in a vacuum and then it's the only thing that's impacting you so like just big picture I grew up in, in an abusive household right my 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 stepfather was uh extremely abusive um you know to the point of knocking me unconscious you would take you know everything out of my room and make me sleep on the floor with with nothing um I eventually got sick of that at about 12 and and so I was homeless for a period of about four to, to five years, at, you know, after being 12, I just live on people's couches. And, you know, it, it was just tough. It's tough to be a 12 year old going to school every day, you know, living on friends' couches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and outside of that, right, I'm, I'm living in a place in, in Western Canada, uh, you know, which is, you know, I was in Okotoks, Alberta, which is a very, very small town. And literally, I was the only, I didn't know another black person. Okay, so you have, you have to understand, like in terms of culturally this is like the middle of nowhere you name the state in the south um in terms of the idea the ideology and like the cultural kind of understanding but it's actually way worse because at least in the south there are black people There, there are black people there right there are enough black people that even though there is a fair amount of segregation still um there's some people who have integrated and there are people who know black people and at least that started to happen where i grew up um there just was not that opportunity to be exposed to black people right so you had a lot of really really old <laughs> mentalities about black people simply out of ignorance right so kids would go to school and they like i got called the n word like 100 times a day right it was like very 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 bad Um, And at the time, I didn't even realize how bad this was, right? Like my nickname, literally, it was my nickname was Big Nig. That was my nickname that everybody called me. Teachers called me that in middle school and in elementary school. Okay. Um, When I got in trouble, people would, the teacher would call the office and say, can somebody come get this N word out of my classroom? Right. Like this, what it it was, forget about, you know, (laughs) forget about like the implicit bias that we're talking about a lot today. It was explicit when I was growing up, like it was explicit. There were times, I mean, I have, there's tons of examples in the book, right? Like a ton of examples in the book, hundreds of examples that I didn't include in the book. Right. Um, Because there's only so many pages. Right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I would say that like the worst thing that happened to me is I went cliff jumping with my friends. Um, I was really young. I I was quasi homeless at the time. It was one of the times where I was I was living on friends' couches. Um, One of my cousins they let me stay with them for a little while. Um, I I think I was actually staying with my cousin at the time, and and we went cliff jumping at this place called Nature's Hideaway. Um, And you know, people, if you have listeners that happen to be in Alberta, you can Google it. Um, It's kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, outside of Okotoks, kind of in between Okotoks and, and Calgary. And um, it's a really fun spot. I've been there a bunch of times to, you know, jump off this little baby cliff and, and you hang out and put blankets out and whatever. Um, but you're, you're kind of out there, right? And there are people who who live out there in trailers and whatever that, that may not, um, you know, be be the most outstanding, you know, upstanding folks in society for for whatever, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and there were out of nowhere, I just I saw this group of folks come out. Uh, they were they were shirtless. They had swastikas tattooed all over their body, um, all over their scalps, right? They had shaved heads. Um, for lack of a better term, they were skinheads, right? Like they were, <laughs> sure. clearly, they were trying to identify as as this, right? Um, and they were holding like a boom box that was playing um i i looked it up later at the time i didn't know what it was um but it was actually one of the there are like official kkk hymns that are out there like official like old school hymns that they have that that you know music that the kkk actually created and produced uh and they were playing one of the hymns from that um that talks about hanging uh you know, an N-word in a tree, and, you know, it. I, I talk about it in the book in, in more detail, but um it was terrifying, it was, ter- you know, I'm with, like, five or six of my friends, right, and we're seeing this happen, they're coming up, and I knew right away, right, like, uh, I, the dread, I was just like, oh, man, like, and I, the first thing is I felt bad for them, because I was like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to ruin our day. <laughs> right,
0: right, right,
1: wow. You know, jumping, um, because I knew as soon as they saw me that, you know, that it was going to be a bad situation. Um, at first they just kind of had fun tormenting and trying to intimidate us. We thought about leaving, but we were worried if we start to leave like we knew they would just try to follow us. And so they, you know, they were throwing rocks at us right at first and eventually they did chase us. Um, you know, I ended up getting tied to a tree and, um, and they threw rocks at me and I, I thought I, was, I could die, right? Um, right. but, um, luckily I was able to get out of that situation, um, you know, with, with the help of, uh, of one of my friends who was there, their older brother, um, was that, you know, was able to kind of help me through that situation. Um, but there's, you know, that was like a potent, That was a violent situation that obviously was very scary. Um, but it doesn't have to be that kind of racism. Like that, that story is almost unhelpful in today's America. It things like that. I'm not saying that they don't happen. They they do happen. It's way more rare today than it used to be, right? Um, and especially was a crazy thing to happen when it happened to me, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like that was very, like even. You know even however many years ago that was now you know it was almost 20 years ago right at this point um that was still a crazy thing to happen um but i think today the kinds of racism that we're dealing with it can still ruin your life right implicit bias can still ruin your life but because it's not as flashy as being tied to a a tree by skinheads who are threatening to hang you Mm -hmm. um not everybody understands that, right? But it that does not mean that the answer is to attack white people, right? The way that I believe the Black Resilience or, or the Black Lives Matter, sorry, um, uh, movement has has done that, right? It's really put the focus on white people um, and and this kind of like unrelenting criticism of white people. And, and focus on white people that I think is, is really not helpful. And it's, and it just further polarizes our communities. Yeah.
0: it uh, you know, when you create division, you know, you stay divided. And, uh, you know, as I hear that story, uh, you know, being a white male, of course, you know, that I'm so embarrassed, right. You know, so embarrassed that, uh, that, you know, there may be other white males that behave that way, but really at the end of the day, um, you know, my my biggest thoughts on racism is that we all must really just be so confused because how are we so limited in our thinking? I'm just a spiritual being having a human experience that just happened to show up here in white skin, you know? And so I don't really spend much time, you know, on that thought process to where like my biggest goal in life is to differentiate myself on the color of my skin, you know? However, it's, it is sometimes, you know, you can be, uh, either honored or, uh, embarrassed by the, uh, things that become associated with that. And, uh, so what I did want to, you know, you, you think that this is not helpful, uh, you know, the focus that there is, you know, just kind of like on the white people. And, um, you, you talk a little bit about, uh, I know about overcoming this victimhood or this helplessness. And if if you could speak a little bit to that, you know, kind of being successful, despite the bias, you know, um, Please share your thoughts on that. I'd love to hear
1: it. So it really, it it becomes a mental health issue. I think we all like try to make this about certain things that are really easy to see, right? They're really tangible in that way that you can see it. Um, But it's really a mental health issue. Uh, The the prolonged uh, impact of of racism, uh, I believe, is largely caused by learned helplessness. Right. And, and learned helplessness is a term used to describe a, a mental illness that impacts people who have, have went through trauma. Right. You've went through a kind of trauma that has essentially taught you, whether consciously or unconsciously, right, that you can't do it, that, that it doesn't matter what you do, that you really cannot control your environment and you can't control what happens to you that it almost doesn't matter what you do, that bad things are just going to happen. And it ha- and, and this learned helplessness, it, it impacts people who have to suffer through a lot of adversity. It, it, it And it's, it's something that black or white, you have to deal with. If, as someone who grew up homeless for a period of time, who dealt with abuse in the home, I dealt with abuse outside of the home. This was something that I, th- th- this was my most, as big of a battle as it is to battle against teachers treating you improperly, not believing in you, not thinking that you're smart, and those be, being the same people who are literally dictating your future because they're grading your work, right? So aside from that, aside from liter- like not having even the stability of knowing where you're going to sleep every night, like those are huge problems. Even with those problems that I had, the biggest problem that I had to overcome was learn helplessness because it is devastating. Because think about it like this, Travis, you have all this stuff going on. It's bad, it, it's hard to overcome as it is. You gotta come up with a plan. Like, how are you going to somehow do well in this class when the teacher doesn't like you and is racist? Like, how are you going to do that, right? Um, that's a problem. But when you think about it all put together, right? When you think about how all of this ends up creating this big mountain that you have to climb, how do you have a mindset and maintain having a mindset that even despite all these things that keep happening to me that I didn't cause, I didn't cause this, it's not my fault, I didn't do anything, I didn't make a decision that caused this person, this teacher to not like me, I didn't do anything, and so I can't really do anything potentially to change it would be learned helplessness, this thing that you learn that I can't do anything to change it. What I ended up learning, Travis, is that actually I can do things to change it, even though it's not my fault, even though my environment is much more difficult to navigate than many others that I know, many of my peers, many of my classmates, many of my friends, Even though they have an easier road and they didn't do anything smart (laughs) to be in that position, they just are. Even though that's the fact, there are actually things in my control that I can do to change my life. And that, my friend, is the secret. And you've seen it again and again in different books in different ways. But that is the secret. The biggest secret in the world is that you actually have the power to control what happens to you and to make your dreams come true and for me that manifested itself in a variety of different ways right and i have a bunch of stories on that but that would be and i'll get into those in a minute but like i want to kind of give you an opportunity to react to that
0: yeah well definitely braden i mean wow um first thing that i'll say is you know we're talking about identity here really you know, I mean, you can uh, terminology, learn helplessness, right? If your identity is that you're helpless, uh, then, you know, we don't behave within a in a manner that's inconsistent in the way that we see ourselves. Yes. The Overcomer sure. Podcast, uh, I, I began this podcast because I've attracted a lot of overcomers into my life due to the fact that I did 10 years in prison for a nonviolent drug offense. Yeah. Right? And then I became who I am today, an author, a presenter, a franchisor, all these different things, yeah. get a lot of accolades. What had to happen? Because I often look at those peers that I'm associated with and I say, oh, 98% recidivism and mm-hmm. most people coming out saying that they can't get a job. What was the difference in me? The difference yeah. in me was belief, right? You know, I, so.
1: <laughs> Thomas, I love that you mentioned identity because it's its a crucial segue, Okay. So let's think about for a second, and bias is absolutely impacting a lot of people who have criminal records, right? Who are trying to make it, who are trying to kind of change their life and change their identity. And it's what what's hard is bias, if you really, you got to break down every problem, right? Like before you can come up with any sort of solution, like I talked about my adversity and solutions there and, and, all, and I can walk through those. But let's talk first, let's talk about bias, right? Let's, what do you need to do to overcome bias, right? And what is, right? You you first have to figure out what bias is. It's ultimately, if you really break it down, it's somebody not having an accurate understanding of your identity. They don't get you. They don't see you. They don't get it, right? Because if they did, they would see who you truly are. And before you can impress upon anybody else your identity, right, you need to impress that upon yourself. You need to have that conversation in the mirror and say, who am I? What am I about? What am I going to accomplish? What's my thing, right? What, What kind of person am I? And what am I defined by? Am I defined by the fact that I spent time in jail? Am I defined by my failures? Am I defined by the last thing I did that didn't work out? Right? Is that what defines me? And the answer is no, right? Like, you're of course not, but you have to have that intentional conversation with yourself to say, no, I'm not defined by that. I'm not defined by something, the the worst thing that I ever did. I'm not defined by the worst thing that somebody ever said about me, right? And I can actually create that definition. And once I've created that definition, let's, let's, forget what, like you just make something up. I became a lawyer, right? So for me, it's easy for me to say, I'm a lawyer mm-hmm. and I'm a future lawyer, right? Like when I wasn't a lawyer yet, it's I'm a, I'm a future lawyer. I'm mm-hmm. going to be a lawyer. That's who I am. Right. I'm a kid who you don't know it yet, but I'm going to become a lawyer. Right. And the perfect segue is I had an experience in college, which was, it was, it was tough. I, I overcame a lot to get there. We're not gonna be able to go through my whole story, but Once I got to college, huge blessing, super amazing for me to be in college on a basketball scholarship at Fresno State. Um, I was dealing with issues with professors who just you could tell they weren't seeing me, man. Mm -hmm. They didn't get identity. They didn't get it. Same sort of issues that I used to deal with back in Canada. Not quite as severe, but just like they saw me as this idiot basketball player, this guy who wasn't serious about academics. Right. And I had to kind of put my emotions aside. Right. And fight the learned helplessness and say, listen, what can I do to help this person? Because this person needs my help because they don't understand who I am. They don't get it. They're actually making a fatal mistake. They're making a big mistake about me. And so how can I help this person overcome that? Right. It's a different mentality there.
0: That's a great mentality, though. That's a great Right. A great way to, to see it instead of just accepting the bias or accepting the defeat. It's like, hmm, how can I help this person? You know, like most people wouldn't want to help that person, right? You know, that's a great response.
1: Like the Overcomers podcast, right? Like we're all trying to overcome adversity, right? right. Else might need to overcome bias. They might need to overcome the fact that they're wrong, right. <laughs> right? And so I had professors who definitely, when I was away on team travel, were traveling for games. They're thinking, you know, forget this guy. This is annoying. It causes extra work for me. He missed. It. He missed the quiz. Forget about him, right? Forget it. Forget this guy. He missed the quiz. Forget this guy, right? They're not going to work that hard to chase me down, make sure I have the notes, make sure I have an opportunity to make it up, right? They're they're not. There's a lot of things with a professor in college that you want them to like you, right? And so, how do you do that? What I started doing after I had a bad experience with a professor who essentially just, like, told me that I didn't write something, that I did write. Emphatically, Mm. like, absolutely just did not, would not accept uh, the fact that I wrote this paper um, and gave me an F and just said, you didn't write it. And I was like, uh, like, I did. Um, I'm (laughs) actually smart. I have a 4.0. Maybe you didn't know, right? But, like, he just wouldn't have it, right? I don't know if he thought that we had... You know, some tutors who were writing it for us, or I don't know what it was. But when he looked at me and he looked at the paper, he's like, Nope, it didn't come from you. It didn't come from a person who looks like you, who is you. And that, that was a big thing. And I didn't necessarily handle that situation the right way. But it's not, again, we're not all defined by our failures or our most recent failure. I told this guy, I said, Listen, buddy, you're wrong about me. You're completely wrong about me. I did write this paper, but you're not even worth my time. I'm out of here, right? I was just like, I was like, look me up. I told him, I was like, look me up in ten years, <laughs> and, right. and see who was right about who. I was like, go, go, go into the computer, check my GPA, remember my name, and look me up in ten years. His name's Mark Soma. I don't care. I'm putting his name out there. His name is in the book, Professor Mark Soma at Fresno State. Right, I told him look me up in ten years, and I walked out and I took the F for the class. It didn't show up ever again. Was that the right decision for me? Now I would do, I would handle it differently. Right, I would have worked at this guy a little bit more to say, listen, I don't know what experiences you've had in the past with student athletes, but I need to explain to you, I care about school. I care about my education. I'm serious about this. I'm serious about your class. I've actually read all of your work. I really love your study that you did on X and Y and Z, and I'd love to talk to you about that. And like, I would have totally changed the way that I attacked the issue, which I did the very next semester when I thought about that opportunity that I had to actually impress upon somebody else my identity and not just accept whatever they were going to give, right? Forget accepting from somebody else, you can manipulate that a little bit. You can take, okay, I see that you're kind of treating me like I am this person, but you're wrong because I'm actually that person. How can you overcome that? And And I did that moving forward at the very beginning of every semester with every other professor. I said, listen, let me explain this to you. And I kind of ran through what I just, just walked through, and it made a huge, huge difference. And you could kind of see them just melt. You could see them go, oh, okay. Because they probably had had bad experiences, They right? Like, we're all just human beings. I think at the end of the day, when you look at racism and you look at what we're dealing with as a, as a community, as a society, and as a country, we're all just human beings and we're not perfect. And we, we form opinions and beliefs based on things that we've seen, based on things we've heard, and based on our own experiences. And you have to take, have a little bit of humility and understanding and empathy to navigate and overcome adversity in the form of bias or, or, or not understanding identity in the other person's identity. Yeah. Wow. That's
0: so good. I really like, I really like your, resp- I love your response. Actually, I, I just think it's such a powerful response to own a situation and just say, oh, this person is not seeing me. You know, uh, I have a quote that I like to try to live by, and that's when it it avoids biases creeping into my life. The quote goes like this, see the light in other people and treat them as if that's all you see. And so the idea is I, I am a spiritual person, you know, not here advocating your religious beliefs, but just a spirituality that says if most religions say that we're all coming from a source, we're all part of that resource part of that source and returning to that source can we all just take time to see the light in each other can we take time to see the light in each other and say you know what i'm gonna not treat this person as whatever they might be so might be some old bitter woman that seems like she's real crabby and having a bad day and my challenge is now not to treat her as an old crabby woman <laughs> you know but to treat
1: her what's good for me and what's and not just good for me like it's not just this like manipulative thing right yeah. it's like what's gonna improve this situation i talk a lot about this idea of building a bridge right and it, it's most relevant in in like especially well it, it's relevant in a lot of contexts but it's especially relevant in the professional context When you're either trying to, like your professor, very important relationship. You need that person to understand you. It's very critical to your success personally. And you also, it happens with bosses, superiors, colleagues. You need them to understand you. You need them to understand your identity. You need to somehow impress upon them who you are, right? And and it can come up again and again. It happens with police officers. It can have any person who's in any position of control or power or influence over you in your life it's really critical that these people understand you and get you. And I talk about this idea of building a bridge, right? Um, And first you gotta think about what does that mean? And then the second is who's responsible to do that. Building a bridge is having this, like, for example, I may have a boss, right? Who, or you may have a boss who grew up a certain way, went to all private schools, you know, maybe never met a black person before, maybe never met someone who served time in prison before, right? Like just doesn't have that connection, right? And has grew up a certain way and like certain things and whatever. But they're going to view you just in a particular fashion, right? They just put you into whatever category. You have to understand with every single human being, there is a lean, there's a slant and we can't ignore it. There's a slant either you got a favorable slant or you got a unfavorable slant but there's a slant man people mm-hmm. are judging you immediately when you meet them immediately and you're either starting from 0 or you're starting from 80 right maybe you're starting at 99 if you're already very famous and and you know if you're meeting Oprah maybe you're starting at 100 right mm-hmm. like people have a reputation and people have characteristics that Other humans use to judge you, right? And the first thing is it's actually genetic and it's evolutionary that humans judge other humans based on how they look. And they actually first compare other humans to how they look and how their family looks. That is actually just fact, it's just science. We, and it's a defense mechanism because way back in the day, it would be helpful to know if you are from another tribe, right? You don't look like me. Right, Mm -hmm. I'm black and you're white. That's kind of a different thing there, right? You Mm -hmm. might be a threat. You might be a threat to me and my kids and my tribe, right? And so it's an instinct to be a little bit, have a little bit higher levels of anxiety, right? And be a little bit more on high alert when you meet people who don't look like you. And you can overcome that, you can work on that. I'm not saying everyone feels those feelings when they see someone of the opposite race, Right or, or of a different race, um, but it's something that naturally does occur, right? And so the question, when you have people from two different walks of life, how do you who don't have that connection yet? How do you build a bridge? And who's responsible to do it, right? And I think the the majority of folks on the Black Lives Matter train would say that this responsibility, and even most of the woke left. Right, would say the person who has this responsibility is the white person. Whoever the person is who's not oppressed, right? That's the person. That's the person. You need to do it. You you have to build this bridge. You have to figure out how to get to know this person who has been oppressed, and you need to fix their oppression. You need to fix it. You need to help them. You need to give them a job. You need to give them a promotion. You need to give them a mentorship. You need to give them a hug. Right. <laughs> It's this idea that you got to do it. It's on you. You're not oppressed. Help him. Help her. They're oppressed. And I think the trick with that is that it's completely insane. (laughs) And it's not going to work. And it's never worked. Like, listen, at the end of the day, doesn't that sound cute if that is how the world could work? Right? It would be great. The problem is that it doesn't work that way and it's not working. And we look back at our diversity inclusion initiatives over 20 years and we say, why isn't it working? And that's the reason why. It's because people who believe that they're good people, white people, people who have privileges, black or white or whatever, people who have privilege are looking at people who have been oppressed and they're, and they're questioning like, is this my fault? Do I, do I even know what to do? Do I even have training on this? Is it really the right thing for me to, to try to like, I'm gonna do the wrong thing. Like I'm probably gonna be offensive to this person as I'm trying to build a bridge. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm gonna come off phony and it happens. Like this is what is happening right now. White people are feeling guilty. They're like trying to certain, you know, certain white people are feeling guilty. They're trying to do what they can to like try to build a bridge. And even those efforts are often, they come off as offensive in some way because they cross some social faux pas or they whatever. It's not gonna be a perfect situation, especially if you're always thinking, what's this person gonna do to offend me? What's this person, this person is my oppressor. I'm waiting for them to build the bridge and they better and I'm waiting. That kind of mentality is completely polarizing, right? When you start the day thinking, I am oppressed, I need these white privileged people to build a bridge and, and solve the problems that, right. That that are, that I'm facing. It's just a bad way to start a situation, right? Like if you tried to start a conversation like that with someone who you needed help from, or you wanted to build a relationship with. If I started this podcast with you, Travis, and I was like, Travis, first of all, F you, right? <laughs> First of all, at the beginning of everything, right? You'd be like, um, I don't know if I want to have a relationship with you. I feel a little bit uncomfortable. I may have made mistakes. My ancestors have made mistakes, maybe, but like, this is just tough. I think we should, you know, I'm going to stay away from you, right? Is what you'd probably do. And that's what a lot, it's happening a lot, right? And so, in terms of the professional environment, one thing that I've done, again, caring for what I did in college, is let's think of a different way to approach those issues. What, what if I made the first move to just build a bridge? To just yeah. be like, what can I connect with this person on? I don't have to have grown up the same way that you did. You, I see that you have a Steelers poster, you know, in your office, or you got a picture of your daughter uh, on your desk. I have a daughter, and I like the NFL. Not particularly a Steelers fan, but I'll <laughs> talk to you about football all day, right? Like. Finding some ways to break the ice, figure out, hey, oh, he has a daughter. That's something I know about Braden. He's black and he has a daughter. Oh, talk to him about the football game. Oh, Steelers, tough one, tough year, tough season right now for, for the Steelers, right? Oh, Braden's also an NFL fan. He's black. He has a daughter. He's an NFL fan. There. Now he knows three things about me. Maybe I get work, I get, maybe that's enough to get on a matter with him. And I can work really, really, really hard to impress upon this guy that I'm really good at my job and I really care about my job and I'm passionate about it, right? And I'm going to work really, 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 really hard. And now he knows he works really, really, really hard. He's really passionate about his job. He has a daughter and he likes football and he's black, right? And you just keep adding to the story. You keep adding to this identity that you're building. It's like building blocks, right? You're building this, this person, right? To this other, to this, to this person that you're trying to impress that identity upon you. You have to think about what is this person? What's fair to assume that this person should know about me based on the interactions that we've had and based on what's like available in terms of information to this person. Cause everything else is guessing. And it's nice if you can get someone to guess that you're a great person. But I don't think that it's particularly fair to sit there with this worldview that everyone who doesn't have the exact, precise, correct understanding of me is the problem, and I'm going to sit here and wait until they correct it. I don't think that's realistic, and I think, at the end of the day, I don't want racism to – I I, I want to fix this, right? I right. want – but my view on how we move forward and actually get there is a much more um, – It's a much more even-handed, let's build a bridge. Let's figure out how to get there. Let's stop attacking each other. Let's figure out how to come together and figure out what we can all agree on. And let's both kind of hold, you know, let's both hold hands and and move forward in the right direction here as opposed to, you know, trying to point fingers.
0: I would consider your view even uh, empowering, you know, because what you're saying is that If we're not just putting it on the person who is not oppressed to roll out the bridge, to offer the mentorship, to do the things that are sometimes rejected and who are they rejected by the person that might still be stuck in a helplessness identity, right? Because if I don't feel empowered in this situation to develop a rapport that creates a connection, that creates understanding that we're so much more than the color of our skin and that we actually have a heck of a lot in common, you know, we both have daughters and we both like the NFL or whatever the case might be then I've, I've left something undone. It doesn't matter how far that bridge gets rolled out. The other person just still feels like, you know, yeah, you rolled out the bridge, but I'm still helpless to change my position, you know, or whatever. Right. You know, so I like the empowerment of your perspective. Let me ask you this. This is a big question. What do you hope to accomplish with your book? Like, what is your ultimate outcome? Like for this, you know, where, where do you see this going? Like, what, what's your dream with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I really think that this book should be the Black Bible. I'll be straight up and honest. Um, mm-hmm. there are a lot of of white Bibles out there, um, so a lot of which I've read and found very helpful, uh, but they're not necessarily written to a black audience, right? My favorite book of all time is Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, and and it's completely helped me transform my life. Uh and not in all ways was it always applicable to where I was uh, in life at that time and, and kind of what problems I had to overcome. But um, it, it, it really impressed upon me how important books like that, that that help empower the reader who's truly ready. My book, it doesn't matter if you're black or white, if you're overcoming racism or stigma, it's in. It's incredibly important to just understanding resilience and the steps that you need to take to overcome major fundamental issues in life, right? Like, we're not talking about little issues. We're talking about difficult issues that most people could not overcome. Most people could not overcome racism, right? Like, you know, without intervention, right? Without, like, most people don't, right? Like, let's just put it that way. Not could not, but like, don't. Right, right. Um, without intervention, without something, without something kind of encouraging this person, helping that person navigate without something. Right. And I think the biggest goal for this book would be for this to be um, widely, widely understood and disseminated, and the ideas in the book being widely understood and followed, um, because it would be incredibly impactful. Racism would cease to exist, it couldn't continue it would the success if you're if you're a racist okay let's just put it this way because there's implicit and like unintentional racism and then there's like i really don't like black people right which is like two different things if you and most racism is unintentional of course right like 99.99999 percent right is unintentional so If you're, if you are one of those people, you're in the KKK, you don't like black people. What would be the worst thing that could ever happen in the world? You want to know what it would be, Travis? It would be black people believing that they actually have the power, that they can actually empower their own life, that they can actually, despite racism. Despite the obstacles, despite it all, despite poverty, despite their teacher thinking they're dumb, despite their, te- their, their boss thinking they're not fit for the job, despite anything that they may have to overcome, homelessness, hum- being hungry, no matter what it is, it would be that that person, despite all of them, believes that they can still be successful, that they can still be a doctor or a lawyer or an astronaut, or an insurance broker, or whatever the heck they want to do. Yeah. That would be, my friend, the scariest thing that could ever happen in the world. And that's what this book is about, right? We all think about putting all this power on white people. White people need to change. White people need to change. That's the only way that black people can succeed. It's bullshit, Travis. And I think it actually perpetuates white supremacy because who's in control in that situation? white people yeah, so good These white people can you please stop being racist so i can get a job please hell no i'm not participating or pandering it right i'm not doing that, okay i'm in control i can actually do this and the book walks through how you can do that is is racism your problem great it's very obvious how the book applies if something else is your problem you can this book is still very relevant plug in whatever it is, right, and I was actually asked, I'm not going to name names on on publishers, uh, but I was asked by various publishers to make this book more general, because they're like, this is great, you know, we'll publish this, this is a great book, very well written, Um, but we, you know, this is a tough topic, it's tough, racism, it's a little, you know, it's tough, we don't want to, it's a tough one, right, and and they're like you know if you just call this resilience that'd be great we'll put this everywhere <laughs> right we'll, nice. we'll a big book deal it'll be great and i you know you think about selling out right you think about what that is and and what those opportunities look like and for me you know although that might have been a nice payday and it would have been a lot easier i wouldn't have to self promote and self fund my book um to me that went against the whole premise of the issue, right? It was really incredibly important, even though I had overcome a lot at that point, right? And I'm sure it ticked a lot of people off to see me write a book about this, right? It was important that I did and that I stuck to that premise and that focus and the reader that I'm targeting because it's truly the most terrifying thing Ever that you could do and put out there in terms of ideas if you truly were racist, right? Yeah. I, I just firmly believe that.
0: No, great job not compromising yourself or your vision, you know, because uh, it clearly needs to be bold and, uh, you know, go after your target audience. But uh, I also feel that, that that audience, that audience is me. That audience is everybody that needs to understand this topic. Uh, but, you know, awesome awesome job let me ask you this so how do people get your book that's important
1: <laughs> uh, yeah so it's it's available um almost anywhere where books are sold um uh, for pre-order um it officially comes out uh you know for release in in april of of the new year but i i would place your pre-order now um both because then you won't have to remind yourself to go do it in april uh or 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 wait longer to, to get it. it'll come sooner. But the other reason is is that obviously it's really helpful to me, the author, right? Um to have those pre-order numbers. Uh, but you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes and Noble online. Uh you can go to my website kbradenanderson.com and, and there's a link there where you can you can do you can also just Google Braden Anderson Black Resilience um and it should pop up there. Um but you know I really really appreciate the opportunity to to talk about the book here Travis and uh, I totally agree that it doesn't matter if you are black or white. It doesn't matter if you've experienced racism or not. Um, and I think even if you haven't even experienced either, right? Maybe you've never experienced racism and you're and you're white and you've never experienced adversity. I think it's important from an academic perspective, to read a book like this, coming from this perspective, to understand that this is is what people are going through, right? What I hope is that a reader will kind of think, hmm, even if you disagree, right? Even if you're all the way, Black Lives Matter is great. And I am mad at white people. And I do think it's their fault. And I do think that they should just have all of the responsibility. Great. I still think you should read my book, because I don't think that you will come away with the same ideas that you came into it with, right? It's this idea of like, let's just have a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like hear, hear this, and then like, and then let's talk, right? Um, and I, it's all about the conversation. I think that's what's really missing in this country. Uh, I think a lot of families are polarized, even just politically. We're talking political views between different, different people in a family. You know, you, you grow up, your kids are are Democrat, your parents are, are Republican or, or your grandparents or whatever. And it's, I think, really relevant in, in the spirit of the holidays, right, to talk about that, uh, you know, the, the conversation of bringing people together, right, and being able to have a conversation, even if you have different views on certain topics that, hey, we're just human beings at the end of the day. So love is the most important thing let's focus on what what do do we agree about like just focusing on that in a conversation that's one thing i'll just throw out to people you know in light of the holidays that just focus if there's people who you don't like their views on x y or z and you disagree about something that's fine you don't have to agree with everybody about everything and just because you don't someone doesn't agree with you about something doesn't make them a bad person Find something that you do agree with somebody on and build from there, especially if it's family. Really good, really good. You know, speaking of conversations,
0: people go out, Overcomer Nation go out, pre-order those books, but how do they keep the conversation going with you? How do they follow you, Braden, and get more of you?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm I'm up there on Twitter. You, you can look me up there. Um, and, and LinkedIn, big LinkedIn guy. So, um, you know, you can follow me on on any of those platforms on most of them um but i really look forward to talking to people i, I truly do care about you know uh each and every one of you guys who, who read the book or are tuning into the podcast um and and want to make sure that that we all reach our potential right and and we can do it together yeah one abram
0: maslow one's only rival is one's own potentials right so, like, let's just not stay in that helplessness, but let's get out of it and let's get into empowerment and believe in our identity, which our identity is greatness beyond what we can imagine, you know. So, Brayden Anderson, thank you for being on the show today. Great job. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Travis. Let's go, Overcomers.